0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to David and Jeff's Survivor Podcast. I'm David, and with me, as always, is... Jeff! How are you doing, Jeff?
1: I am wonderful. How are you,
0: David? I'm doing fantastic. I thought a really great episode of Survivor. I really enjoyed watching it. I thought this episode had been uh, being set up for the past three weeks, and it finally culminated into uh, into the big blind side of Aris, where he didn't see it coming, Tyson has now taken control of the game. The next question is for how long, but I am enjoying the ride.
1: I am too. I love Tyson. I think that that's been very clear over the past uh 9 seasons that I'm a huge Tyson fan. So I'm I'm very I'm happy as a clam right now.
0: Yeah, I would love to see Tyson and Jervis in the final 3. I I think that's a long shot even right now. I I know they're in power, but uh I think they may be a little too in power right now, and people may see that as a threat. But I I would love if they somehow managed to, to work their way all the way down to the to the finals. Absolutely. But uh, a big blunder by Tina this, uh, this episode, or at least a perceived blunder from the audience. We've never really seen uh, Tina make too many mistakes in her game. Obviously, the first game... She won. She didn't really have any mistakes. The second game, she was targeted just for being a winner and didn't really stand a chance. So this, this is the first time she's been playing very, very well this season. But uh, you have this whole thing where, whether intentional or not, she basically implied to Monica that she was getting fifth place.
1: Yeah, I'm still, I'm still confused about that. I, I think Tina's far too smart to do that, and she's proven that to us time and time again that that's not something Tina would do. I'm thinking that there's more to that story. Um, clearly, that's how Monica perceived it, so I guess, you are you know, in, like, a results-based world, you're always losing that argument. But, um, but it, she just seems so smart to, to do, like, that's Survivor 101, and maybe I'm thinking that that was a really long speech that they cut very far
0: down and that Monica heard wrong or something. But. I, I don't know, but... I definitely heard it as, "Oh look, you get fifth place! Isn't that nice?" We were gonna give it to Jervis. <laughs> yeah,
1: That's definitely what it sounded like. It makes me very sad. Like I'm a very big Tina fan, but
0: yeah.
1: And yeah. I'm not. I mean, I don't think it makes means like, "Oh, she's a bad Survivor player." If anything, it was just a slip up.
0: I I will say that I I thought this was a really good episode, except for one thing. That's got to be a like the most boring. Uh, merge immunity challenge ever, okay?
1: It's the most boring challenge ever. I think that you don't even add merge immunity. And I, I just saw a funny post on Facebook literally two seconds ago that made me laugh. It was like that the RS-Vetus, uh rivalry really is, is suffering from a lot of diminishing returns. Because first you had the sumo wrestle, and everyone was like, oh, that's a great battle for these two brothers. And then you have like a water slide, and now it's a memory challenge.
0: Like... <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, usually when we merge, we have some sort of, like, epic endurance challenge, or at least something, not then hold up a block. <laughs> you know? Is it a crate or a ship that's next? Right. Uh, next year, they're actually
1: going to just play Parcheesi. So, and the year after that, they're going to bring in some World Series of Poker Guys, and there's going to be a big poker
0: game. Oh, so, John Robert's coming back. Yeah. There you go. And Boston Rob, look at that. <laughs> but, uh, um <laughs> But yeah, other than that I thought it was a, a really solid episode. I thought it was good. I think for the audience it was fairly obvious that uh, the Aris was gonna go home. I th- like I said, I think they've been building it up, but I, I thought it was really great to watch and to see it.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I mean, we've kinda talked about this last year a little bit, especially during Corinne's episode where Sometimes the audience doesn't need to be blindsided, but watching someone be led to slaughter can be just as uh, just as fulfilling of a of an episode.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to be talking about this season, uh, this podcast with JML. We have him every season, right at the merge. He's going to be talking about the storyline this season, um, what the editors are trying to to convey, the story, what the theme is going to be whose edits are, are projecting maybe long-term and who's maybe a short-term game. But uh, it's definitely going to be interesting to talk with him and see what he thinks of everything this season.
1: Absolutely. I love talking to JML. He really provides a new, fresh perspective on the season that really does make you watch the episode and uh, make you watch the entirety of the season in a different light. And really, I mean, just since talking to him the couple of times that I have because of this podcast has really changed the way that I watch Survivor. So I enjoy having him on.
0: Yeah, but before we get to him, we have a couple things to do. First, let's let uh, let's talk about this whole high-low thing, Jeff.
1: Absolutely, David. The high-lows for this week, uh, for the high, you picked Vetus and I picked Tyson. We both did quite well. They, obviously, neither of them were voted off, and they both got quite a few confessionals. The only difference is that Vetus did win the challenge, so he gets a point for that. Um, for the low pick, Katie and Caleb, you picked Katie and I picked Caleb. And they both got two points because, uh, well, neither of them were voted out, so we didn't get a point for that. But they both got zero confessionals, and neither of them won the challenge. So that means that this week, the score was 5-4, and that makes our season score 26-22. to 22, Which right. means I have quite a bit of catching up to do over the merge.
0: I like it, I like it. Although, uh, Katie did have one memorable quote this episode. <laughs>
1: which was...
0: Uh, it's a game, bitches.
1: <laughs> it's a game, bitches. I believe is what you're trying to say. Yes.
0: But she said it. She said it slightly different, like the uh, the sassy girl way of saying it that I'm not very good at apparently.
1: Bitches, I think. There
0: we good. go. There we go. All right. So I think it's time to predict.
1: Predict. Um. Who? Let's you know, see. So you have.
0: You go first for high.
1: First. I go first for high pick. I'm still going to pick Tyson. I think that he's got a good shot at winning the challenge and a uh, good shot at getting a lot of confessionals. I think there's only two real high picks this week, so I think I know who you're going to pick, too.
0: I think I'm going to stick with Vitas. I think he could win again. I think uh, he's definitely going to get confessionals. We just said RSL. Um, and uh, there is potential that he could get voted out, but I'm willing to take the risk. Fair.
1: For the low pick, David.
0: For the low pick, I am going to choose Caleb because Katie may get a confession or two because she was on the a bad side of the alliance, and I still think Caleb's going to do nothing next
1: episode. So uh, that would have been my pick as well. Um, I've been debating back and forth as to who I would, who's going to be my low pick, and it's hard because the people who would be obvious low picks do either have something unique going on in the game, or they're the type of person who shouldn't be a low pick, such as Hayden or Jervis. So I think that I am going to go with, yeah, Hayden, which is a risky low pick, but one that I think might pay off.
0: Well, yeah, it's interesting, because he had really nothing to do with this episode, but he's still got one or two confessionals, and he still seemed to be a part of it. Like, he was the narrator of the merge. Right. Which is interesting. But I
1: don't think that's
0: gonna last yeah maybe maybe not we'll see hopefully i can uh extend the lead even more and like by the end of the season it's 12 points up
1: <laughs> i don't know if that's gonna happen but you go for
0: it yeah it's probably not gonna happen <laughs> i'll be i'll be happy if i just stay where i am i don't need actually need to grow but let's uh let's do our Top 5. Last week we didn't do a Top 5. We were talking with Clayton and did other things, but uh, the Top 5 is back. So, Jeff, what is our Top 5 this week?
1: The Top 5 for this week is the Top 5 Survivor Merge Episodes.
0: Top 5 Survivor Merge Episodes. If we even wanted to, we could include this one on our list, but uh, which episodes stand out as having a phenomenal merge? Take it away, Jeff, as your number five.
1: Um, my number five is one that you might not think of, but I think really uh, had uh, just some great moments, some great confessionals. The merge episode from Survivor Cook Islands. Um, and I think that the culminating uh, confessional in that episode that really makes it a great episode, and I'm going to try to do my best Jonathan Penner impression here, and that is either I flip on the Raro people, and I'm a complete bastard, or I've already flipped on the Two people, and I'm a complete bastard. I just love that confessional. I think it sums up not only that season but that episode really well. And uh, that, that was—I just—that was a good episode. Unfortunately, it was the loss of one of my favorites, uh, Nate. But it was a good episode, nonetheless.
0: Yeah, that was—I uh, wrote down nine just going through the seasons that stood out, and it was uh, one of my nine and almost made it on the list. So. Uh... I, I don't have any qualms with uh, the Cook Islands merge episode. You have Jonathan Penner as the ultimate swing, and the i2s then do gain control of the game, which was very great to see. So uh, it was definitely interesting. But my number five is a uh, critically panned season of Survivor, but I still greatly enjoy the merge episode. And that is Redemption Island, season 22.
1: It was my number six. I was just almost on my list.
0: There we go. See, uh, I am not going to disagree with people that Redemption Island is a pretty awful season. It is very predictable, very boring, especially after the Merge episode. But there are a few joys of the season, and that is the first three episodes... And the merge episode. This is the first time we ever had someone come back into the game via Redemption Island. We had Matt Elrod, who's this big hero that you've sort of been rooting for. He's won every single duel. He comes back into the game. He's finally doing it. He's making alliances. He's doing everything. And he's being honest to Boston Rob. And what does Boston Rob do? Bam! Votes him right out again. And something I didn't even see coming. Like, having come back in the game, I didn't. It didn't even cross my mind, really, that he was going to be the first one out. I was like, all right, they you know, they get the advantage. Way to go, uh, Oma Tempe. And then, uh, <laughs> nope, Boston Rob has other plans. So I thought it was a really great merge episode and, and very exciting to see.
1: I think David Murphy summed that merge episode up perfectly when he just says, that was freaking genius.
0: Because
1: <laughs> it was, I mean, Redemption Island was a totally new concept at that time. No one knew how to approach it. And so... I think a lot of people perceived it as just, oh, Matt's back in the game. Now you have a 12 person merge. Everyone's on an equal playing field. But Redemption Island still plays into it. But anyway, my number four uh, a season also with Boston Rob, and that is Survivor All Stars. I thought that the merge episode in Survivor All Stars was great because you have the uh, dichotomy between Lex and Rob after Lex decides to save Amber. Then Rob obviously turns on that, and then even going into Tribal Council, you have this kind of um, this tense moment where will Kathy give up her immunity? And it wasn't—I don't think that one was very much creation by the editors. I think that was a very real uh, interpersonal conflict that Kathy had to face with herself as to whether or not to give up immunity, and uh, just the fight between Lex and Rob, uncomfortable to watch, but created some really great TV.
0: Interesting. I just don't like All-Star Seasons that uh, that much, so it was not, I, I, it makes me sad, so I didn't put it on my list, but uh, I, it did create a lot of drama, and it was interesting. But coincidentally, my number four is another Boston Robb season, and my number four is Survivor Marquesas. Um, lots of people rave about the following episode, the one where John gets voted out and they have the first ever, you know, power shift in Survivor. Um, but I thought the merge episode was very strong in Survivor Marquesas. You have, I thought it was really cool to have Kathy and Boston and Rob come together and do the the whole, you know, form the new merge tribe thing. But uh, just the, the seeing Kathy through this merge, I think was my favorite. And just seeing her realize that she can't trust anyone, and then you have Boston Rob going crazy and just trying to destroy everyone and create all this chaos. Kathy winning immunity, and, and it it really set up you know, the next episode where the power shift would happen. So I, I think it was a very interesting and entertaining uh, episode all around.
1: I agree. I like the Marquesas merge episode as well. My number three is Survivor Australia. A very sad episode in my life because it's the first time a Jeff has ever been voted out of Survivor. And it's happened a few times since, but um, this one was especially, especially harmful because I really, really love Jeff Barner and he's even one of my favorite Survivor characters um, Up to this to this day So uh, it was very hard But I think it was a great episode because It was the first time where Alliances based on tribe lines Were so strong that everyone Knew what was going to happen And everyone knew that It was going to be a 5-5 vote But what happens after that no one knew Because had they voted for Jerry Or had they voted for Keith And they obviously couldn't vote for Keith Because he had immunity had But had they voted for Jerry The entire season is different, and I think that that episode, and I don't know that there's anyone in the world who would disagree with with me, really sets up the way that Survivor Australia goes down, and I think that it's just a great episode.
0: Yeah, um, I think Survivor Australia, I love the season, Um, however, it merge episodes, it's... It's another sad one for me. I was Kucha all the way um, to see them lose, and maybe that's why I don't really like sad episodes. Although I think I may have one, but uh, it's it's very. <laughs> maybe I just they don't appreciate them as much because of the the sad result of it. But uh, I I have no qualms about you having it on the list, and I think I think it is a a solid one. But poor poor Kucha, the the downfall of Kucha. I did not like. My number three is one that is critically beloved by a lot of Survivor fans, and that is Survivor Micronesia. Just the whole Eliza and the fake Immunity Idol stick, it had been set up, Ozzy put it there, Jason found it, we've been waiting for this to actually happen, and the fact that you have this conversation with Eliza and Jason saying, "Uh, uh, Jason, this is a stick, this is not an idol, and the fact that she plays it anyways just on the off chance that it is an idol uh it just gives me so much joy and happiness even though i i sort of wanted to see eliza somehow overcome the odds it was just so entertaining to see i couldn't i could not i couldn't not include it on my list fair
1: i, I disagree but I, I wasn't a big fan of that episode i like that one moment but, but i i understand where you're coming from. David. my number two is survivor borneo Um, I think that obviously, like, the merge episode of all merge episodes where really this is a totally, like, I I keep repeating, like, this is totally new and it changes the game. This episode changed Survivor, not just Survivor Borneo, but this episode changed Survivor and the way that people think about Survivor and how Survivor works. I mean, when you have any Tribal Council where... Half of the people, more than half of the people, get votes. That's significant. But the, um, I mean, just the act of voting Gretchen out in the way that it happened really changed the way Survivors play forever. It's the reason why Richard Hatch is still considered one of the best winners. It's the reason why alliances are so big in Survivor. It's the reason why, you know, the nice guy doesn't always finish first. There, it's just, there's so much context behind why Survivor Borneo's merge episode is so important to the history of the show that you can't not include it on a list of your top five.
0: Well, and it set up your Survivor Australia merge. They knew that they, you know, they couldn't be like the Pagong tribe so they both had to go in 5-5. And that's the way it was for the longest time. Exactly. So, yeah, um, coincidentally, my number two is also Borneo's. So I agree with you that this is truly an impactful and, and game series changing uh episode and something that the first the original audience that watched it were completely shocked and how could gretchen be be the one voted out and uh really created a big hatred towards alliances alliances were sins and should uh are pure evil and anyone who is in the alliance uh should be should should uh just go away because they got rid of gretchen
1: well, I mean, it's just so interesting because up to that point, there was a reason besides alliances why everyone had been voted out. You know, BB or Sonia's voted out because she's weak in challenges. BB's voted out because he's bossy around camp. Ramona's voted out because she, you know, can't really do anything around camp. Stacy's voted out because she's kind of annoying and doesn't really fit in with the group. Dirk's voted out for the same reason. Joel's voted out. For us, well, because Jervis is annoying and doesn't. And, like, mm-hmm. there's all social reasons why a group of people said, hey, we should vote this person out, but that wasn't, you know, hey, we should make an alliance and vote everyone out. Yeah. So there, there's no impetus as to why Gretchen should be voted out. There's no reason. And yeah. that's, I think, why it was so jarring for people, because every there's a reason to vote everyone out, but there wasn't a reason to vote Gretchen out. The reason to vote Gretchen out was, hey, we have an alliance, let's vote Gretchen out. Yep. It's I love it. I love it. Yep. But my number one, and I have a feeling, David, that you're gonna be able to agree with this, my number one is Survivor Heroes versus Villains. I think the best merge episode of all time. You have the amazing move of playing two idols in order to safeguard against JT in order I'm sorry, JT and the heroes voting against one of the villains. You have uh, just so many strategic blunders all in one episode. It's really great. But also the great strategic move of playing both idols. And I think the culmination of one of the best you know, two or three episode storylines with JT's idol being in the hands of the, uh, the villains. And uh, the first time in Survivor that Russell was ever blindsided with the exception of not winning Survivor Samoa. So I, I think a great episode all around.
0: Yeah, that is not on my list, Jeff. What yeah
1: i thought, I thought for sure well, what was it? what is your number one? oh no,, now I'm scared, and I forgot something
0: <laughs> My number one is an a uh, merge episode that I thought uh started a chain reaction of string episodes that were truly phenomenal, and I just really enjoyed watching it and had no idea what was coming and that is survivor philippines i I thought. Having the, the, the merge of Philippines, having Calabo and Tandang come together, but you still have you know Malcolm and Denise and how it's going to go, and you came to that tribal council not knowing what was going to happen, and somehow RC got out and Paner played his idol. It was just uh, a, a crazy, crazy episode that I, I truly enjoyed. And then you had the very next one with Jeff Kent, which was also mind-boggling amazing. But uh, I really, really loved the Survivor Philippines marriage episode.
1: That's fair. I like that episode too. Um, Survivor Philippines isn't my my forte exactly. It's a season that I actually haven't rewatched yet because it's it's a little bit harder to find Survivor on mine now. But it's definitely one that's on my list really soon.
0: Yeah, and and again, I I I think the the heroes vs. Dylans merge was was epic. But to, to me, other than the whole plane to idle things, it was a, a pretty standard merge five five sort of a thing where I just loved the, the chaos and the craziness of the Survivor Philippines merch
1: oh see the reason why I like Survivor Heroes versus Villains is because you remember in Survivor Karamoan the conversation between Andrea and Eddie where they're bo- where they both want to be in the power position but also don't want to give anything up yeah the, to me, that that conversation represents what was happening in the Survivor Heroes vs Villains Merge episode, because that happens with Rupert and Sandra, and that happens with uh, Amanda and Parvati, and that happens kind of all throughout, where both people think they're they're smarter than the other person in many different conversations, and I think that it works really well, and that, and that's why I like it so much. It's just kind of this big awkward mess of everyone thinking that they're smarter than the person next to them. Yep. and uh, culminated in JT going for so.
0: Can't disagree with it. So Jeff and I have very different lists, but there are lists, and you may have a very different one as well. Let us know what you think the top merge episode is. You can let us know by uh, commenting on our Facebook page, David and Jeff's Survivor Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. So I think it's time. Let's talk to JML.
1: Absolutely.
0: Let's hear what he has to say. Here we go. All right, we now have JML back on the podcast with us again for this year. Every time we have a merge, we have uh, Justin coming on. How are you doing, Justin?
2: I'm great. How are you guys?
0: Doing well. I'm really interested to to hear your thoughts of this season. Uh, What do you think of Blood vs. Water and all the twists in uh, this season so far as a whole? I
2: think Blood vs. Water has been tremendous narratively because it's opened up a lot of ...depth for the storylines, because the storylines now reach across tribes and reach beyond one person, rather than just having all of these sort of singular, isolated plotlines. Because when you have a game that's focused on people being individuals, it makes me think of all the way back in Africa, when Ethan said, even though I'm surrounded by people all the time... I'm still so alone. Now obviously that was like a hint he was the winner, but at the same time that's kind of what Survivor is. It's not like intertwined stories. But now that you have all these people who have stories coming in together, even more so than an All-Star season or a returning season, it just opens up so much, of, you know, to tell and talk about.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think they they did lots and lots of things right this season from uh casting people and casting people with good relationships that would make good storylines. Um, to, to actually telling the story through the, the editing and everything, I thought has been phenomenal this season.
2: Yeah, I mean, I agree. The, the entire Aris versus Vitas thing was just, just so compelling, and it was like, who are we supposed to like more? And, you know, I, don't, I still don't think we have an answer to that question. And, and just to have that sort of complexity on Survivor, when it's usually these are the heroes, these are the villains, those shades of gray just, just make it so much more enthralling for me. Yeah,
1: And I I think that that storyline isn't done. I think that, um, I, I mean, assuming Vetus gets voted off somewhere in the next three votes, they're just going to be a pretty epic Redemption Island
2: duel between them. Well, we have completely different perspectives. We can get into that in a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Fair.
0: So let's talk about the theme. Every uh, every season there's sort of uh, an overarching theme of the season. Uh, what do, What do you think the theme for this season is, Justin?
2: The theme I've seen this season is calm versus chaos. And it goes back to the beginning of the season with the whole conversation between Aris and Colton on their tribe. And on that tribe, Aris said, you know, just calm down, Colton, and just, you know, let other people make the mistake. Let other people make the mistake and you stay in the game. It may not look like you're in a good position now, but just be calm and be nice to people. Where Colton wanted to play Colton survivor, Russell Han survivor, where you just cause chaos for really no apparent reason. You know, I think that's what we learned with Russell Hans. Causing chaos isn't necessarily good. Mm-hmm. And it's been shown throughout the season that the people who cause more chaos, you know, like Brad Culpepper, he was playing a strategy, but it was a super aggressive strategy that caused chaos, and eventually the chaos shifted onto him. Whereas people who play calmly were able to get through and do very well pre-merge. The most notable was Venus's two-episode edit on the the new... I think it's Galong was the tribe, the new Galong tribe, where he just stayed calm, and, you know, Cat ended up axing herself, and Laura B. ended up axing herself.
0: Yeah, and I think we even saw that in this episode with uh, Sierra, when she's, like, telling her mom, you know, calm down, you know, be... Relax, just just calm down. Uh, it was very evident, I think Sierra is one of those people who's able to, to create the calmness versus the chaos.
2: Very good, that's a very good observation, especially because the way they noticed it flipped, right? Because pre-merge, who was all calm, it was Laura who was calm, and that's because she was on the winning tribe, and she got voted out, and now she came back, and she's all chaotic because she's been voted out. But her, her daughters learned how to play the game. And she's very calm about it. And you're right, it's a very intentional edit on their part. I was having a conversation with uh, Clayton, who was your guest last week, and Moore is kind of just a chaotic player in general, so it's interesting the way they've done that. And, you know, we'll return to that Sierra thought later. That's a very good observation. I, I,
1: and I, I, I want to, like, just to pull it through. Like, even, I think that's how Sierra and Katie stayed so... Um... So safe on the tribe with Brad and John as they allowed other people to make their mistakes. Uh, with the exception of Rachel, everyone on that tribe was voted out because there was some sort of chaos attached to them. With John, it was the existence of the hidden immunity idol clues. Marissa, it was the existence of Jervis and her own attitude. And then obviously, Brad Culpepper caused his own sort of chaos. So I think that that's a really smart observation because Katie and Sierra, I think, were able to fall into the background more in that tribe. And I think Sierra's learned that that's probably
2: the smart thing to do. Yes, especially on uh, this season. Uh, yeah.
0: What do you think of all of the uh, the Redemption Island and the switching with your loved ones? How does that impact the, uh, the storyline at all?
2: Well, I, I kind of talked about this at the beginning, right, where I said that it adds more depth to it. When you just look at, you know, the, the depth, let's just take Tyson, the depth we saw from him simply because he had to make a decision about whether to switch with Rachel, and then the death strategy there to put the decision on her, and then just the the, the way he opened up emotionally afterwards, you never would have seen that. And also, the, the cross-narrative with the, the Culpeppers versus uh, Candace and John. That, I mean, there was so much complexity to that story where that never was on that kind of complexity on Redemption Island before. I mean, Redemption Island, the two things I remember from it are Matt Elrod and Ozzy, and that's it. But now, I just remember Candace's edit for a while was this huge hero edit when they were trying to take down Brad, and then when Brad beat her on Redemption Island, in that next episode, they showed kind of her bitchier side that we don't really get to see, because she's always been a hero. So the fact that they have to switch these edits around and add these kind of levels to it, you know, I think Redemption Island... With the loved ones, has really added to that.
0: Any other moments throughout the season that you stand out about the whole uh, calm versus chaos thing?
2: Oh uh, well, this is kind of going to give away who I think wins, and you know this is where I disagree with Jeff. But I just think visually, Vitas has had very powerful moments of him being calm. The first one that really struck me, and it was before I knew what the theme was, but in the first episode, they showed him sitting on the beach, just watching the sunset, just enjoying being there. You know, where everyone else is, like, worried about playing the game and everything. In the first episode, he was just watching that. And then they kind of echoed that later on with him on uh, Galang. They had another shot. I believe it was the first episode after the the switch with the same thing. So visually, those moments just, uh, you you know, because they've also said he's a yoga instructor. Visually, those episodes just were very powerful for me, would be, you know, they were very serene and tranquil, so with the theme, they were very, you know, very spot on and really stuck
0: with me. Now, do you think that it's possible for Vetus to get voted off and come back in the game and win, or do you think that the storyline is sort of thinking that he, he manages to survive all the way through without Redemption Island, or... I think to he's gonna
2: survive all the way through without Redemption Island. I think either Aris or Tyson is gonna win Redemption Island. Right now I'm leaning towards Aris, but I don't know for sure. But I I mean strategically I don't really see anyone being able to get all the way to the end winning Redemption Island and winning the vote the final vote. But I mean it's always possible. But storyline wise, I don't really see that as possible. I mean obviously it exists in reality. I don't really see that as likely. But you could argue that his story is about redemption because, you know, he's the former heroin addict who's been to jail. So the best mm-hmm. way to get redemption is to win Redemption Island, right? Yeah. So
1: there is a possibility. See, that, that, was, that was my argument. I mean, you said we disagree. Um, Vetus is still the person who I think wins, but I do think he will have to go through Redemption Island because he'd be the next person voted off if nothing changes next week. And I, I think it's. Like, really? No. I, I, I that's mean, that's fair. fair. You think Tina's next? Yes uh, so that's fair, but i I do think that Vetus, I in my in the way that I see it going and, and again, there's a difference between reality and uh, like kind of what the best story would be. but I think Vetus goes through Redemption Island and comes back and uh, convinces you know like I think that he could pretty easily win still win a jury if he has his brother Tina, Katie, and then like Sierra and either Caleb or Hayden. Would be five easy votes for him.
2: I think. I mean, I think he's gonna. If he gets to the end, he'll win the jury vote hands down. So maybe he does do Redemption Island. The reason I don't think he does Redemption Island is because of Tyson's edit. And there was a very important episode pre-merged, which basically spelled out the story for me. And it was, I believe, it was the cat episode. Yeah, it was the cat episode where they showed. You know, Vetus being calm and letting everything go around him, and this was in the new tribe, you know, and he was just letting everything happen, and Kat got herself voted out, and then they contrasted that with, what did Tyson do when he got to the new tribe?
0: Steals coconuts, eats all the food.
2: And then starts talking about Aris, right? Yeah. And just basically, you know, all he's doing is trying to cause a division, tear people down, you know, it's the definition of chaos, right? And that's the strategy he's playing. So, to me, that's a very clear, this is the hero of the story, this is the villain of the story.
0: Do you think, then, that Tyson is someone who, like, makes it to the end and loses because he's a villain, or he has a downfall somewhere throughout and ends up on Redemption Island?
2: Basic survivor storytelling is he would have a downfall and end up on Redemption Island. Uh, maybe he wins Redemption Island because Aris did say there's no way uh, Tyson will go on a streak because, he's, like, his arm's broken. Maybe yeah. that's foreshadowing that he does. Maybe that's foreshadowing that he gets to the end. Because it did say he did say, you know, maybe I'll sit there at the end with Jervis. So that's, you know, foreshadowing of the final three. But the way he's been built up is, in the first episode, he said that you know, I'm in a good spot, and I'm going to, you know, stab all or slit the throats, is what he said, slit the throats of all the loved ones. And then what is, what is the first thing he does? He targets a pair, and he talks about how strong the pairs are. So logically, what I think is going to happen is he's just going to go after the pairs next. And I think continuing to go after them, he's eventually going to have to go after his own alliance, right? Laura and Sierra. Mm-hmm. And I can see that biting him in the butt, that happening. So one, one question that
1: I've had the entire season that I've actually been eager to ask you, Justin, there, there are two people who I can't really place in terms of, like, Survivor storytelling who seem important enough that they aren't, you know, background characters like a Rick Nelson or a Whitney Duncan, but I can't place as an archetype in Survivor storytelling. And those two people are Jervis and um, Caleb. It seems like um, everyone else has
2: a role to play in this story except for those two. See, that's the thing about, you know, Caleb and even Hayden to a certain extent. Like, I like Hayden. Like, I know there was a lot of negativity around him after coming from Big Brother because people thought he wasn't that smart or something. They thought he was just a challenge winner. But I think he's been a good character, and he's proven to be a smart guy. Like, he knows what he's doing. But Mm -hmm. if you look at both of them, it's what you said. Him and Caleb, they've sort of been on the outside of that alliance the entire time. It was the five guys, and now they're sort of on the outside of, of this alliance too, and I just, they don't have a long-term story, which makes me think they go like, you know, mid-jury, and for some reason they get flipped out of the power, which is another reason that Tyson, I don't feel like Tyson does well because their fate is kind of linked to him. But as far as archetypes, for that reason, I don't really see them as an archetype. Now, Jervis is another interesting one, right? Because if you watched this episode, there was a lot of interesting symbolism with him. He was shown carrying things a lot. And then he had the confessional right before tribal council, which usually who do they give that person that that uh, that confessional to? Person going home. Or the person who decides to vote. Remember they gave okay. us RS when he had to decide about Laura, so it's one of the two, right? Yeah. So that's another reason I think that Tyson isn't gonna do well because if they seem to be saying that Jervis is carrying Tyson to a certain extent. Because if Jervis had decided to stay with Aris, Tyson wouldn't have had leverage the leverage to switch. So maybe they're foreshadowing down the line that something happens, and that's so do why. You, Jer- go ahead. Do, you, do you think it was Jervis's idea to get rid of Aris? Because all, all no, science... no, 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 no. It was, it was Tyson's idea completely. I mean, that's. I mean, that's the other thing. Outside of the story, I realized something about Tyson this week, which is another reason I think Tina's gonna go. Do you remember why uh, he eventually lost in Heroes versus Villains? What was his big bonehead move? Switching his, he was playing for himself and not for the group. Well,
0: well, he voted for Parvati. Right,
2: right. So who was he trying to get rid of? A former winner. Yeah. Who did he have a heart on? Excuse my explicit language, but who did he have a heart on to get rid of this game?
0: R is the winner.
2: And so who do you think he's going to go after? Someone who's still in a pair who's a former winner? Yeah. That, I, I think that's, that, that's what I think is going to happen. That's why I think Aris went. I actually, I mean, if we're going to talk strategy for a second, I think Tyson had the game, and I think he blew it. If he had waited till Final 9 and used Hayden, Caleb, himself, Monica, and Jervis, he could have taken that five to the end. All he had to do was promise Monica Final 3, and he could have gotten rid of all the pairs to start with, and it wouldn't have been an issue. But he wanted to get rid of Aris so badly.
0: <laughs> yeah, I I almost thought it would have been better for him to vote Laura M off this time sure. and at least do it one more week. So you're getting rid of that pair, but she's on the outs anyways. No one really cares, and and even at the final you know ten vote vote Aris off. But
1: well, you don't even ostracize Sierra that much because Sierra's not that invested in her mom doing well in the game, and I think that's I mean I think they're leading up to either Sierra. Allowing her mom to go home, or maybe even leading the charge just to get that target off of her back.
2: Right, to get rid of Tyson. What if Tyson goes
1: after Laura next week? Right, and I think that's what's going to happen. I think Sierra's going to okay that. I think right.
2: Sierra's going to be just fine with it. Because she's friends with Katie, remember? Right. And this is what I'm saying, so just for, you know, forget the narrative for a second. Purely from a strategic standpoint, he left too many connections in the game that don't have to do with him when there's too many numbers that could be flipped against him. Whereas if he had waited till 9, all the 5 would have been connected to him and nobody else. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, and I, I mean, this This point was kind of made a tribal
1: council, but there's so many layers to the relationships that could exist in this game. I mean, first you have, and Jeff Probst made a big deal about this, the pairs, right? You could make a 6-5. Right. Tyson said, men, women, you could make a 6-5. You have the singles who could grab a pair, make it a seven four. You have the old Galang alliance, which could make a six five. You've got all the newbies plus Laura M, which I think would make a six five. Oh, if they have RS two. I mean, there's so many d- different ways that it could have that it could have uh, went, and it was right. just trying
2: to keep track of it's very difficult. Right, and remember that Vetus still has a connection to Caleb and Hayden, too, because he never backstabbed them or anything, and they showed that scene of Vetus being wary of Caleb and just sort of being calm and peaceful, letting him talk on the uh, water. Now, was that scene just to establish Vetus, or was it to establish their relationship? It could be both, or it could be one of those two things. But the point that Jeff's making still stands. You know, there's so many layers to what's going on, and I just think that... You know, just like in Heroes versus Villains, strategically, Tyson wasn't paying attention to the layers, whereas Rob was when he just said, split the votes, get rid of Russell. He did the same thing here. He wasn't paying attention to the layers when Aris said, split the votes, get rid of Laura, and he got rid of Aris instead.
0: Now, what do you think of Laura M's edit, and how she, how does she fit into this storyline?
2: Oh, I think uh, Jeff just talked about it, that it, it has something to do with because one of the sub-themes has been loved ones versus. Uh, you know, just playing by yourself and Sierra is kind of stuck in that position right now. And her, her edit pre-merge was very interesting because it kind of looked like she was dead in the water after redemption, mm-hmm. you know, when she got voted out. But then I was like, no, they're going to do a challenge that a woman could win. And I was like, that's, that's actually what made me realize that Aris was the, like the week leading up to the blind side. I was like, wait, Aris is going to go because Laura M going to come back. So I think her, I don't think she's going to win, but I think she's probably going to go back to Redemption Island, probably face Aris. But, you know, she'll be another, I would say another mid-merge boot because of the whole Sierra storyline that, you know, Jeff was just talking about. You know, does Sierra go with the loved ones? Does she go play for herself? You know, how does that play with Tyson trying to slip the throats of all the loved ones? She's kind of become the, the symbol of that right now because she's on the independent players, we'll call them the independent players alliance. But she's on the outs of it. She's only there because of her daughter.
0: Well, let's talk about the other mother-daughter then, because we have Katie who seems totally dependent upon Tina. So d- I, that makes me sort of think when Tina, you know, goes that Katie may not be long either, but.
2: Well, but that's the other thing is what happens when Tina goes and if Tina goes and Katie becomes an independent player. So let's say I'm I'm right about all my Tyson theorizing and Tina goes next. Mm-hmm. And then, so Tyson, logically, the next person to target if you're going after the pairs is Laura. So then you've got Katie and and Sierra, who the only person Katie's connected, well, the only people Katie's connected to anymore are Vetus and Sierra, correct? Yeah. And Monica by proxy. Monica by proxy, sort of, yes. But the edit hasn't really shown that as much, right? No. Where Tina made a great point, right? Remember this. Tina said, oh, well, uh, you know, Katie doesn't really open up to guys. She's not very flirty, but if she wanted to end up with Vitas, I wouldn't mind that. Why was that included? Was that just to make us think Vetus is awesome, or does it foreshadow something else? So if you look at that, and Tina goes next, and Katie's suddenly a free agent, well, she sh- shifts to the independent side, and then we have, you know, you could have Vitas, Katie, Sierra, Laura, Hayden, and Caleb. Well, that's six right there. Tyson could be screwed in yeah. a couple of weeks. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, do you think something like maybe a uh, a newbies versus returning is going to happen where all the original Hanna are going to be like, look, we can come back together and, and take this?
2: It might be one of those things where we look at the, the, the boot order in retrospect, sort of like what happened to the men in One World, where it wasn't until they realized... Hey, we're all being bamboozled and we're voting out the men without realizing it. Mm-hmm. it you know, I don't think that's you know there's a Kim on the, the newbie side that's doing that. I mean, maybe maybe Betis turns into that, and that, that's the reason for his edit. But I think it might be one where yeah, we might look back and say, wow, isn't it interesting how all the returning players went in a row like that? Because I mean, if Tyson goes, well, isn't it logical to just send Jurgis right after him? Yeah. I, I don't know I, I might
1: want to go up against Jervis In a final uh, in a final three scenario I mean he, he's not a GOAT by any means But I don't know that there are any GOATs in this game But I mean going, I don't think Jervis has done anything To really build relationships With the exception of Tyson He's there And he's I don't think he's strategic So I mean I, I would keep Jervis around As a potential final three person
2: Yeah I mean It's I, I can't agree with that. It's a, it's a true statement. I'm just talking like if they're doing a newbie's alliance, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, if you do a newbie's alliance and you vote out Tyson, well, are you going to vote out Laura first, or are you going to vote out Monica. Monica first, or are you going to vote out Jervis? <laughs> yeah, either Monica or Jervis, right?
0: Yeah. Let's talk about Monica's edit because she's another interesting person, and she's she's gotten quite a bit of airtime this season. But uh, yeah, it's it's another one where I can't fully pin down.
2: Uh, to me, this is just plotting. I mean, what happened pre merge? Pre merge, Brad Culpepper was already all over the edit. He was a minor villain, so you had to include Monica. Then Monica was the one who was so insistent on voting out Kat and Laura B. You know, she's the one who saved Vetus. And then in this episode, it was all she was the one to they concretized why everyone flipped on Aris in her when Tina was like, You're going five. And then she's like, Okay, peace. I'm going to go over here with Tyson. She doesn't have any, this is the thing, when you look at someone and you can't figure it out, you just have to go, well, what is their connection to the theme? And she doesn't really have one. And that's when you can figure out, well, is this a, you know, they're including it because it's an overall story or is this just a, you know, a pure pure plot mechanic type deal? Mm
0: -hmm. So, yeah, you don't think she has any real impact in the the storyline then?
2: Uh, not thematically, not in the the, the narrative. I think she does plot-wise. I think she's already had it. I don't really see her playing much anymore. I think she's kind of with Tyson now, and, you know, whatever happens with Tyson, the same thing would probably happen to Jervis and Monica, most likely. I think Monica's also an interesting case because
1: she can really be treated like a new player in terms of editing. They don't have to, like, they don't have an old edit that they kind of have to stay true to because she was only in five episodes prior
2: they could make her independent now, too, but she's not. We're Let's not.
0: talk about um, this. They're bringing Redemption Island back post-merge. What do you think? Th- are you a, a fan of this? Do you think this adds more to it? Because I sort of think at this point, I don't think anyone is going to switch. The only way I can see someone possibly switching is if Sierra got voted out before Laura M. Are they going to
2: do the switch thing still? I, I, I think s- it's
0: still an option, yeah.
2: I mean, how crazy would it be if Vita switched with Aris? <laughs> there's no way. I mean, <laughs> Vita won't do it, but it'd be insane. But, yeah, I mean, I agree with you, but I, if, I think if they're going to do Redemption Island, just do it all the way through. I mean, that's the way they've done it. Keep it that way. It adds more at the end. You know, it was epic when Andrea came back and got voted out again. You know, it was epic when Ozzy got beat by Sophie in the final challenge. Like, it's there's just too many great moments that are created by it not to continue. It's just... It's just a really good plot mechanic and a really good narrative tool.
0: Yeah, the the only difference this time is I think the person coming back to Redemption has uh, a much more likely chance of doing well if their loved one is still in the game. So, I mean, if Sierra's back in and Laura M. suddenly comes back again, I mean, you're looking that both of them make it the finals, potentially.
2: Right, or Vetus... Last and then Aris is the one who comes back? Yeah, absolutely. It would be a really
1: interesting uh, plot device or plot line if, uh, Ar- if Vetus didn't get voted out and Aris came back for redemption. Because then you have Vetus who's made all the relationships on the island, and you have Aris who's made pull an Ozzy and make all of his relationships on redemption as people
2: leave the game. It would be a really interesting to have both of them in the final two. Well, and that's the thing that makes is really making me think that Aris might make it to the end because pre merge it was such like a tug of war. Like Aris had that the moment where he was where he was meditating and he was saying, "I'm visualizing myself as the winner." And like even when he voted out Laura, it was portrayed very positively. And like everything that he said needed to happen, like Kirby Brad, and like he was like specifically said she just needs to not say anything mean, and they showed her not saying anything. Like, the edit reflected him very well, and it was kind of like, well, who's actually going to win this game? And do I want to cheer for Aris, or do I want to cheer for Vetus? Like, they were giving us compelling reasons back and forth. So that's part of the reason I'm kind of like, does he win Redemption Island? Especially because he's a strong competitor. You know, he played college basketball, so you could realistically see it. You could realistically see it. But he's got—he's definitely got a hard road. There are a lot of strong
1: competitors left
2: in the game. Uh, I'm, not, I'm certainly not saying it's easy by any means. I mean, you could—I mean, you can argue the ours—we just thing is over already because we beat him in the challenge, and Aris got voted out. Yeah. But it's tough not to see RSL on the jury with it, all the connections and the, the edit he's got. And I'm just saying that it would make sense narratively, and it would be compelling narratively if he came back. But yeah. I can also see Tyson winning Redemption Island too. So. See, three have great edits.
0: I would almost love to see a Tyson, Vetus, both in the final three.
2: Yeah, I mean, the, the final three I'd love to see is Jervis, Tyson, Vetus.
0: Yeah, that'd be, that'd be
2: really cool. Right. Uh, and as far as Tyson, just, just to make one more note about him, like the final nail in the coffin for his edit for me was when he found the idol. Do you guys remember what he said when he found the idol? It doesn't necessarily correlate with winning, but this makes my chances better or something like that. Right. Well, he said, you know, I've never won Survivor before and I've never found the idol before. Is there a correlation between those two things? Probably not. Now, if I'm the editors, you know, this, you know, this here's a little lesson in writing and a little lesson in editing and all this. If I'm the editors and I want to portray this character strongly, who's going to win? Or if I'm a writer and I'm writing this and I want to portray the character strongly, I'm going to cut the line off at, hooray, I've never won the game before and I've never found an idol. Because that implies, oh wow, he's going to find, you know, he found the idol, he's going to win. But when you include the line, which comes after, which is very easy to cut out editing-wise, and something you just wouldn't write writing-wise, you include the line that says, Is there a correlation between the two? Probably not. It's kind of like saying, yeah, okay, it's great that he won this, but it doesn't mean he wins, so he's probably not going to win. It just really undermines the edit. It undermines the sort of heroic championship moment, which, you know, we've seen, you know, remember Rob's championship moment with the idol. Yeah. Well, I mean,
1: especially in in this season where the idol has been, I don't want to say it's been looked down upon, I mean, it has, but... I think just symbolically the fact that the idol has been so... I don't even know what word to use. Uh, negative.
0: Think, having the idol is, or having even a clue to the idol has been negative. And if you, right. everyone says if you have the oh, idol screws. or any clue, you're going to be targeted. So it's like exactly. a, it's a bad thing.
2: It's right. Like, if you look at the calm versus chaos, people have been keeping it calm by throwing the idol clue away. And now who is, who is the element of chaos now? Tyson. Yeah. Do you think that'll be continued through the uh, the post-Merge Redemption Island? Will people the continue the idol clue? I think they should. I mean, I, I've, that's something I've wanted for a long time. I always said that the best move with the idol is just to get in front of your tribe and say, you know what, this causes too many problems and just throw it in the ocean. So, yeah, I, mean, I remember when you did that. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, Jeff and I played a game, and I, I actually used that move. Like, So just so people know, I used that move before they used it on Survivor. I used it in an online game. But um, yeah, so I think they should I mean, I think it's honestly, I think it's the best strategy It shows you're trustworthy It shows you're not trying to hide things from people And you're stabilizing the game The more there are idols in the game, the less stable the game is I mean, we saw that with Philip, right? Yeah, The guy was playing a great game Brenda was playing a great game behind him You know, you could argue she was the one in control But both of their games basically got screwed Because there were two idols And then the third person won that So it screwed up the entire game so less idols, more stability, more calmness.
0: Well, and there's so much complexity in this season just with the the Blood versus Water twist that it's almost, you don't need the the hidden immunity idol to have another complex thing.
1: Right. Well, I mean, if, if you play it, let's pretend someone, and uh, let's pretend Aris had played the idol this vote. Like, just the complexity of who goes home from there, whether it be Laura Ab or
2: Sierra, you could make a compelling case for both of them. Yeah, the, the, the complexity of the people actually worked against the blind side being a surprise because uh, I paused the video right before and I counted and I said, okay, based on the vote, vote splits, even if all the votes split certain ways, there's still too many votes for Aris. So usually I'm, all, I'm kind of like, okay, well, this person's probably going to go home, but I could see it going another way. But just purely mathematically, I was like, there's no way Aris doesn't go home now. So it was like the blind side wasn't, I mean, I was already pretty sure narratively, but just mathematically, because of the complexity and the mode splitting they showed and everything, I knew that there was no way Aris couldn't go home. Yeah. Yeah, see, I would have been a little bit uh, surprised. Unfortunately,
1: I'm not able to watch the show when it airs, because I, I have class, I have to watch it a little bit later. And I accidentally logged onto Facebook, and the first post was someone saying, like, post a picture of Aris and was like, we'll miss you in the game or something like that, and I was really upset. So I knew it was coming, unfortunately. But I, I think I would have been at least a little bit surprised.
0: Well, and and the interesting thing to mention is that Aris himself was 100% blindsided, and he did not see this coming at all, which was interesting for the edit.
1: I, mean, I think part of that is cockiness. He's been pretty cocky this entire time. Well, um, they
0: showed him and Vetus being super cocky this episode. You know, yeah. if if this is the Aris versus Vitas season, if we don't make it to the final two... Then, you know, we're idiots or something like
1: that. See, I I think, I think Vetus's cockiness is more of a play than Aris's. I think Vetus plays cock, like, when he was on the New Galong tribe, I think he was playing cocky in order to, like, secure the fact that he was confident that he would stay, because I think that that plays well with that group of of women. He's playing it for the camera, too. Did
2: you see what he said when he voted off Cat?
0: Oh, Yeah. (laughs) He said
2: enjoy the ambiance at Redemption Child." Like, he's, he's playing the audience as much as he's playing anyone else. Yeah, absolutely. Which is a great reference to in Survivor 1 World when Kat didn't know the definition of ambiance. Right, and he, he knows only the super fans are going to know that, right? Right. One other person I want to talk about, and we kind of hinted at it a little bit along the way here. I think there's a Dark Horse candidate for winner. I don't see it happening. But I don't see a lot of people talking about it. But I could see Sierra sneaking in for the
0: win. Yeah, I think she was edited very, very favorably this episode, especially going with your theme of calm versus chaos. Um, right. I can see her. Her. I think her. You know, one of her things is she's been able to survive. Every single vote, she's been the target, you know, how many times but she's able to survive by being sort of calm and low and let other people do it. So I could see that sort of a thing where she survives, she keeps calm all the way to the end.
2: Right, and, you know, Fia's, Tyson, and her got the best merge episodes, so uh, it, it, could, it could definitely happen. Any It's not my thing. I don't even need to say it, David.
0: You stole it from me. Good job. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Any other uh, thoughts of this season so far, Justin?
2: Uh, no, just uh, you, know, you were talking about Monica a little, and I wanted to add that I was told today that apparently the edgic thread is saying that Monica, they're 100% sure Monica's going to win. Hmm. <laughs> really? <laughs> Which apparently, I don't know how they get this, but it's from their mathematical formula. And it just makes me want to drive home the point that storytelling is not numbers. It's not, you know, it's not paint by the numbers. It's not statistic. The story adapts to the characters and the plot, especially in reality television. You know, you could argue, like, a writer who writes from scratch has a formula, and maybe you could codify that somehow. That might be an interesting study for some grad student in some useful English program to do. But... When you're basing it on reality, there's no way to, to codify it like that because you, there are too many different characters who you might want to forefront even if they don't win. There are too many different events, just pure plot mechanics, like we're talking about with Monica. I said she's pure plot mechanics. She's a prime example of this, where you just have to include them because of things that happen. So it, it just you know it just shows what happens when you try to... Analyze something that's about content and about themes rather than, you know, making it about numbers when it's not about
1: numbers. Well, I mean, the inherent flaw with Edgic in terms of this season of Survivor is that Edgic inherently discounts secondhand perspective, and in a season where you're playing with your family members, secondhand perspective on a character
2: is a huge deal. I mean, I agree, and that's part of, like, oh, well, Tina gives a confessional about Vetus and her daughter, you know, they're going to discount that. But, you know, that's what I'm talking about with, you know, the extra content that's added. That's why that's added in there. But unfortunately, when you open that door with them, they're just going to say, oh, well, we just have to change our formula, and we got our formula wrong this season. But my point is, it's not a formula at all.
1: Well, if you look at their formulas, it's like, here are the seven different types of winners that that could emerge, and it's like, well, any winner could probably, or anyone could probably fit into one of those seven
2: categories if you're creative enough. Well, now now you've got it, ultimately. It's a psychological game with themselves, but that's another discussion.
0: Yeah. Any other people, uh, pre-merge boots that uh, you were, especially enjoyed their storyline this season, or, or stood out to you?
2: I love Brad Culpepper. I mean, to me, it was very obvious they were trying their hardest to edit him as a villain. I don't think he had any ill will, I don't think he was doing anything wrong. I just think he played overly aggressive, which is probably all he knows how as an NFL football player. And I think we saw the real him when he said, you know, Monica, I came in this game to be a shield for you. Good luck. So I enjoyed seeing him play because I thought, you know, it's good to see someone take the bull by the horns and just try and, like, run the hell out of this game from the beginning. And I enjoyed seeing the way they edited him to make him, you know, a villain, even though he really wasn't one.
0: Yeah, I really, I actually was uh, is a fan of Brad Culpepper. I know a lot of people really couldn't stand him, but I, I, I found him very compelling and entertaining to watch, and I didn't think he was a horrible person or anything. But I did think he added a lot of interesting dynamics to the game.
2: Let's play
0: this game so Jeff can kick the crap out of me. Okay, since uh, we've been talking a lot about storyline and everything, uh, this isn't a Survivor game necessarily. Oh. This. Okay. So you actually have a chance. What this is <laughs> What this is is I will give you the the brief, like one sentence storyline or plot line of a famous movie, and you have okay. to tell me what the movie
1: is.
2: Jurassic Park.
1: <laughs> I have not well, that was Silence of the Lambs, close. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Alright. Adaptation.
0: So what we'll do is we will uh We'll do a, a buzzing system. Each you will have a buzzword. You can interrupt me while I'm reading it. If you figure out before I finish, you don't have to wait till I'm done. But if you guess incorrectly, the other person gets a chance to steal. First one to seven points wins. Did
2: you make this game just so I'd have a chance?
0: I was trying to figure out something that had to do with storyline, and I thought this uh, this was pretty good. All so. Right and we had just, we did, last week we just did one uh with Clayton, a Survivor one, and Jeff like crushed him seven to zero or something. It was really sad. It's so. funny
2: because I played Survivor trivia with Clayton and Jess Frey and they crushed me,
0: so. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, what do you want your uh, buzz sound to be?
2: Sound or like word or something?
0: Word, sound, whatever.
2: Pineapple.
0: Alright, pineapple. Jeff, what you going with?
1: Um, I think it's only appropriate, David, considering the last two podcasts that we've done. I have a very specific sound that I want my, uh, my buzz sound to be. And I have it right here.
0: <laughs> okay. A droid and pineapple. Very good. <laughs> All right. First one to uh, seven points wins. Three unemployed parapsychology professors... Set up shop as a unique...
2: Pineapple. Yes. Ghostbusters.
0: That is correct. A unique ghost removal service. JML on the board with one.
1: Yes!
0: Jeff, come on, don't you know your Ghostbusters?
1: I, yeah, I haven't seen Ghostbusters in probably ten years.
0: Oh. The
2: fourth guy was Ray. He's black.
0: <laughs> Apparently he wasn't unemployed. <laughs> All right. Number two. A woman leaves an Austrian convent to become a governess to the children of a naval officer widower. Yes, Jeff.
1: The sound of music?
0: That is correct, the sound of music. you
2: got to say Nazis, but tell me what's the sound of music?
0: <laughs> All right, it's tied 1-1 as we move on. Number three. A 17-year-old aristocrat expecting to be married to a rich claimant by her mother falls in love with a kind but poor artist aboard
2: Pineapple? yes is it the princess diaries?
0: that is incorrect <laughs> Jeff I will uh, finish it off for you falls in love with a kind but poor artist aboard a luxurious ill-fated oh, cruise ship no way dude come on yes. I
1: have two answers the first one is every movie ever made the second answer would be Titanic
0: Titanic Damn. is correct <laughs> Alright, Jeff takes the lead. I
2: think that's also the plot of the Princess Diaries, though, minus the ship,
0: so. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a pretty standard plot line. <laughs> <laughs> Number four. A magic nanny comes to work for a cold banker's unhappy family.
2: Pineapple? Yes. A spoonful of sugar made Mary Poppins.
0: That is correct, Mary Poppins. <laughs> I just sang the
2: song
0: first. <laughs> <laughs> 2 2. Number five. During a preview tour, a theme park suffers a major power breakdown that allows dinosaur ex- uh, exhibits.
1: Park.
2: Jurassic
0: Park is correct, Justin.
1: Yeah. Oh, we were tied on that one.
0: I heard pineapple before the droid. I'm sorry. It's fine.
2: I mean, I guess that, like,
0: before we even started. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. <laughs> Number six. A troubled child summons the courage to help a friendly alien escape Earth and return. Oh, no. Yes. E.T. E.T. is correct.
1: Or Iron Giant. <laughs> no, I
0: was,
1: I, Iron Giant, I was like close to saying that but I realized it was, that David was born in the 80s.
0: So. <laughs> well, What's the score? <laughs> the score is JML4, Jeff2. Three more JML wins. All right, number seven. A manipulative southern belle carries on a turbulent affair with a blockade runner during the American Civil War.
2: Pineapple? Yes. Gone with the
0: Wind. Gone with the Wind is correct. Five to two. Jeff, you need to, uh, you need to uh, hit your droid faster.
2: Frankly, my David, I don't give a
1: damn.
0: <laughs> okay. Okay.
2: Fact, frankly, my droid, I don't give a damn. Oh, <laughs> uh, look at you with the jokes. <laughs> All you right. Not
0: funny. <laughs> Number 8. When a teenage girl is possessed by a mysterious entity, her mother seeks the help of <laughs> Yes, Jeff.
2: The exorcist?
0: That is correct. The exorcist seeks uh, help with two priests to save her daughter. All right.
2: I was gonna say my high school dating life. <laughs> oh dear.
0: Five to three There's
2: So many
1: jokes there. Jeff
0: is starting his comeback, but it could be over soon. Alright, number nine. A paraplegic marine dispatched to the moon Pandora on a unique mission.
1: Pineapple.
0: Avatar. Correct. Avatar is correct. Also Pocahontas.
1: I'm just gonna say droid because hitting it takes too long. It well I I was
0: wondering long. why you didn't do that before. <laughs> Justin is one away from winning, so Jeff, okay. you need to get this. The uh, next four in a row. The next four in a row, yes. All right, here we go. Number ten. The aliens are coming, and their goal is to invade and destroy. Fighting superior technology, man's best weapon is the will to survive. Droid. Yes.
2: War of the Worlds?
0: Incorrect. JML for the win. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I this think War, Inde- War of the Worlds works, in this instance. It does work, but I'm gonna go with the updated War of the Worlds. Oh hell no, Independence Day.
0: Independence Day is correct for the yes! win.
2: Why does War
1: of the World? How is War of the Worlds not applicable in that in that scenario?
0: Oh hell no. All of these are taken from IMDb. I could look up War of the Worlds IMDb and see what it says.
2: I bet it's close. No,
1: it's War, of okay. worlds, War of the Worlds on IMDb says Independence Day without Will Smith.
0: <laughs> Darn. I should, have, I should have been able to. Uh, All right, here we go. This is the uh, War of the World. As Earth is invaded by alien tripod fighting machines, one family fights for survival. Apparently only one family fights. <laughs> Well, I love it, because
1: then it's almost literally the same exact, like, the will to survive, fight for survival. Uh, the only difference is that these are alien tripods. I guess I, I didn't think, oh, he didn't say tripods. So,
0: <laughs> JML is the winner. Uh, I have a couple more quick. We can do a speed round, if anyone, just shout out the answer if you know it. A collection of animated interpretations of great works of Western classical music. Fantasia. That is correct.
2: I was going to say that, too.
0: <laughs> the aging patriarch of an organized crime dynasty transfers control of his clandestine empire. The
2: departed.
0: It's not the departed. Jeff, what'd you say? I was going to say the godfather. That is correct. A snubbed, malevolent fairy casts a curse on a princess that only a prince can break with the help of three good fairies. Sleeping Beauty. That is correct. So, if you played it out, JML would have eight to Jeff's five. Either way, Justin is the winner. Congratulations.
2: Did you just want to embarrass him? Was
0: like they were like in a vendetta here? I don't know about. <laughs> I
2: don't think so. I, I don't. I, I think it's. I don't think I've
1: lost a game
0: all season. Yeah, this. But I think I'll this is the it. first game you've lost. Oh
2: hell no! <laughs>
0: <laughs> Justin, we it has been a pleasure to have you on the podcast again, as it always is. Is there anything you would like to plug or promote before we say goodbye?
2: Uh, no, just thanks for having me on, and you know I look forward to coming back on at the end of the season, and hopefully I don't have egg on my face if Tyson wins. Or yep. if Monica wins. If Monica <laughs> wins, especially bad. If Monica wins, I'm never going to do a podcast ever again in my entire life. <laughs> I'm just going to stop, and I'm just going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> All right, right, we'll, we'll talk about Survivor ever again if Monica wins.
0: Well, uh, we will definitely have you uh, back at the end of the season unless uh, a miracle happens and Monica wins, but uh, thank you so much for coming on and and talking with us, sharing with us, and uh, have a great night.
2: Who beat Jeff Garst this season? Not Not you.
1: Please. It had to happen eventually as part of the (laughs) storyline.
0: Jeff was Tyson in this scenario. (laughs) I'm okay with that. Thanks again, uh, Justin, and uh, have a great night. Well, there was our conversation with JML. Always great to talk to him. Um, he's really good at, at finding the storyline and looking at the editing of everything. And it's uh, I always enjoy having him on, especially at this time, to help sort of weed everything that's happened so far and sort of help see what, what may be ahead.
1: Yeah, I, re- I enjoy having JML on the podcast. Now that he and I don't hate each other anymore, it's uh, more fun.
0: When when did he hate you, Jeff?
1: Oh, we had a little bit of a tiff after our game with Clayton.
0: Uh <laughs> No,
1: we didn't hate each other though. He's a good guy.
0: Yeah. Well, and now I I'm, I'm pretty sure he has no qualms with you now that he has beaten you in in our game. So
1: That's true. That's true. I think there was a little bit of resentment. Way
0: there, to so. throw it to help to help his uh Anytime, David. <laughs> With, uh, stay tuned. We should be having a, a few more Survivor guests coming up uh, potentially so stay tuned for that. We're just working on scheduling. Um, also we're, we're looking for more fans to talk to so if you want to uh, to be on the podcast let us know. We just had someone on our uh, website leave us a comment saying they wanted to be on the podcast so uh, we're going to work and try to, to make sure that he can, uh, he can be on. But yeah, if you want to check us out on our Facebook page, David and Jeff Survivor Podcast or our a website survivorpodcast.blogspot.com.
1: And make sure you hit subscribe on iTunes. David and Jeff Survivor Podcast podcast shows up every week right on your computer, where you can listen to it at your convenience. And uh, if you if it helps you, download the podcasting app on your phone.
0: But uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. We will be back we- next week to talk about the latest episode of Survivor Blood vs Water. Thank you for listening. Goodbye bye